Hello, dystopian thriller fans, and welcome to episode two of Madison Lawson's The Registration. My name's Kayla, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. Previously on The Registration, after discovering a plot to assassinate her, Linnell reconnects with her estranged husband, Daniel. Their attempt to flee is thwarted when Zachary Price finds and takes her, admitting that there is more to his reasons for registering her than simply wanting her dead. Linnell is desperate for answers, but the truth might be too much for her to handle. Day three. Linnell hears Price order coffee and waffles to be delivered to the room and cracks one eye open to check the time. The clock's light is blinding, and when she sees it isn't even 7 a.m., she pulls a pillow over her head and burrows deeper into the covers. She's not sure how much time passes before room service knocks and Price carries the food inside. Linnell lowers the pillow, blinks against the sunlight, and rolls over. You're awake, Price says. It sounds like he's speaking around a mouthful of waffles. You want some breakfast? She lies still the blanket shielding her body from the stranger who slept in the bed next to her all night. She smells the waffles and bacon? The scent taunts her, but she can't get her limbs to move. Don't give him the satisfaction, she thinks. Having a second meal with him borders on intimate, and she has no desire for intimacy with the man who registered her. They're decent waffles, Price says. His fork clinks against the metal plate, and the sound grates in Linnell's ears. She lifts the blanket so it covers her head. You should try them, he continues. They even gave us a bowl of berries. She feels her bed dip, and when he starts talking, Linnell realizes Price has sat down. You're going to get hungry on the plane, and I'm not getting you anything. I have money, Linnell says, her voice muffled and I might as well spend it. Suit yourself, he stands. Our flight doesn't leave for three more hours, though, so you're probably going to get hungry before, he says. Linnell ignores him in favor of trying to fall back asleep. But Price cuts his waffles loudly and hums while he eats, as if her comfort is the last thing on his mind. When her sheet is ripped back and the cold air assaults an exposed sliver of skin between her pants and shirt, she sits up with a shout. Hey! He's holding the sheets in one hand and a plate in another. He smirks at her and drops the plate next to her on the bed. The waffle flops on the plate and one edge hits her leg. It's time to eat and get up, Linnell. Stop moping. Moping? Linnell swings her legs over the edge of the bed and grabs the waffle in her fist. You think I'm moping? She stands up and throws the waffle at Price. He holds his hands up, but doesn't block fast enough, and the waffle hits him in the middle of the face. I'm not moping, you arrogant shit. I'm just not playing your little game. I won't be the food you play with before your feast. Her face heats up as she yells, but Price just blinks at her, his hands loose at his side. Screw you, Zachary Price. I'm taking a shower. She turns and heads to the bathroom, slamming the door behind her before turning on the water. When she's finished, Price knocks on the door. Leaving in an hour, Linnell, 
be ready. Linnell returns to the bedroom, where Price is perched at the edge of her bed. She lies back down and rests her hands over her rumbling stomach, taking deep, steadying breaths. Do you agree? Linnell asks, after deciding the silence is more uncomfortable than it's worth. That the registration is a way of life, and we should respect it? She sits up, looking at Price with an eyebrow raised. He doesn't answer, but shifts from foot to foot, avoiding her eyes. I do, she continues. It's not always perfect, but it does more good than bad, I think. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm brainwashed? That's what the rebels say. I don't know. But let me tell you, being on this end, despite the crap pile of a life I'm living, gives you a different perspective. Suddenly, the registration doesn't seem as fair. She lies back down and closes her eyes, thinking about Daniel's look of betrayal and anger when she came home all those years ago. It seems like I should have respected life more, made amends. Price doesn't respond. Linnell can hear the tick of the watch he must have put back on that morning, the thin black fancy one he keeps glancing at every time it flashes a different color, most often red. It's time to go, he says with a sigh. Price carries their bags and she follows him. She feels every breath she takes and every hair on her body. While Price checks them out, Linnell watches a woman struggling to stuff clothes in a bag while her young child waves a set of keys in the air. The child throws the keys across the lobby. Carla, the woman shouts. Linnell can hear the exhaustion in her voice. Before she can stand to retrieve the keys, Linnell steps forward. I got it, she says, heading to the bench on the side of the lobby where the keys slid beneath. Linnell has to kneel and lean down to reach the keys. And when she returns, the woman is grinning and the child is reaching up for the keys. How old is she? Linnell asks. Almost two, the woman says. Linnell smiles and waves at Carla. Good morning, Carla. The little girl hides behind her mom's legs, but waves gently, even as she does. Sorry, she's a bit shy. It's fine, Linnell stands, crossing her arms. She's gorgeous. Thank you. Before Linnell can reply, she hears Price thanking the receptionist and turns just in time for him to grab her arm and say, making friends? Linnell nods, glaring at him in a silent challenge to forbid her from being kind to strangers. Price holds out his hand and the woman takes it, shaking it respectfully before pulling away and grabbing her daughter's hand. Thanks for keeping my wife company, but we really must be going. Good to meet you, Linnell says, before Price tugs her away from the woman. Have a good day, Carla. Bye, the little girl shouts. Linnell's chest tightens. Price ordered another car that's already waiting outside when they leave the hotel. Today then, she asks, five minutes into the drive. Hmm, he mutters, staring at his phone. You're doing it today? Completing the registration? He shrugs, his fingers dancing along the screen of his phone. Linnell reaches over and tugs the phone out of Price's hand. Can you 
at least pretend to care about this? She asks, voice harsher than she thought capable. She'd assumed her anger would fade into acceptance and resignation. Price curls his hands into fists. Give me back my phone, Linnell. One question, she says, holding the phone behind her head. Price looks like he could strangle her. Excuse me? She puffs out her chest and meets his gaze with as much confidence as she can muster. I'll give you back your phone if you answer one of my questions truthfully. You're joking, right? He looks from her to the phone before making a lunge for it. She dodges and pulls a leg up onto the seat between them. No, I'm not, she says. Price looks murderous, and she begins to wonder what could be on his phone that would get him to react like this. Answers to her questions, maybe? Messages to the person who hired him? Messages from Daniel? Price sits back. One question. Linnell grins and relaxes some. She purses her lips, considering all her options. Any day now. Linnell scowls. Fine. She fully intends to ask why he registered her, but before she can stop herself, a different question escapes. How do you know Daniel Carter? She blinks at her own question, internally kicking herself. It doesn't matter how her registrar and her ex know each other. It shouldn't matter. And yet, it does. Price has the nerve to chuckle. He shakes his head and rubs his eyes with his fingertips. What? Linnell says, defensive. You're sitting in a car with the man who registered you. You have no idea when exactly in the next 12 days or how or where your life will end. And the most pressing question on your mind, is that? He looks at her with so much amusement in his eyes that Linnell shoves him before crossing her arms. Yes, and you have to answer. He's still smiling when he says, you really are something, Linnell Mize. Answer the question. Phone first, he says, holding out his hand. No. He lifts an eyebrow. You called him Danny. He called you Zach. You know each other. And he just let you. She takes a deep breath and steadies her gaze on the man across from her. Tell me. He sighs and pulls his hand back. Fine. We met at a pub two years ago. Danny was there drinking alone and we just got to talking. He honestly seemed confused about why he was there. We drank a bit too much and I apparently complained about my father a lot because Danny said, let's go teach him a lesson. Price shrugs, smiling at the memory. So we stole a bottle of brandy, went to my father's office, trashed the place, and ended up on the roof. I was able to remotely turn off any security cameras, so my father never found out who ransacked his place. Been great friends ever since. He stops talking, staring at Linnell expectantly. She blinks, frowns, and tries to picture the event. Daniel has never been a big drinker or partier. Daniel is safe, secure, and predictable. He always said he had enough excitement when he fought with the rebels before they were quickly subdued by the Elysians. I'll be boring as long as I'm here for you, he'd said. How did he end up with a guy like this?
she stares at Bryce until the car comes to a halt and the driver leans back, shouting that they've arrived. This car doesn't have a machine to pay at the back, so Price hands his bank card to the driver. He taps it against the machine built into the dashboard of the car and hands it back when it shines green. Thanks, Price says to the driver. Then he turns to Linnell. Now, can I have my phone back? Linnell returns the small device to Price, who instantly starts typing. He doesn't look up from the screen as he climbs out of the car. So Daniel knew. He had to have known. But Linnell refuses to believe it was his idea. Either Price decided to get revenge for his friend by registering the horrible ex, or this is unrelated to her marriage with Daniel. Suddenly her door opens, and she's yanked from her thoughts and the car by Price's strong hand. Come on, we've got a plane to catch. No need to be so forceful, she says, climbing out of the car and pushing Price's hand off. She's never been to St. Louis, but the airport is small compared to the Dallas and Chicago airports. Even still, it's crowded, and the security lines are completely full. Traveling during the registration is always more difficult. The rules are slightly different, with weapons being allowed on board and more paperwork to check. She follows him into the bustling airport, ignoring the way he glances at her every few seconds. It takes 40 minutes to reach the top of the security line, where Price has to go to the furthest booth to check in his weapon. Linnell probably shouldn't be surprised that Price owns a weapon, but she is. Acquiring a legal weapon like a gun is difficult, and the fact that Price has one makes him that much more mysterious. He must be rich, or well-connected, or both. The security guard checks to make sure the gun isn't loaded before returning it. Price has to sign a paper saying he won't complete his registration on the aircraft or his immunity will be forfeited. Linnell didn't even know there were limits on where a registration could be completed, except that it can't be in another country. Don't try anything, Price hisses in her ear before heading through the metal detector and agreeing to a pat down. She hadn't planned on it, not in a crowded airport with officers every 10 feet. But then she thinks of Daniel and those last three words he mouthed. After he left her three years ago, she was certain he'd never forgive her, never love her again. But she was wrong. What else was she wrong about? Linnell realizes she can't find peace in her registration until she has some answers. She goes through the security calmly, and when Price reaches out to grab her arm after she makes it through, she grabs his hand instead. He's about to pull away when she laces her fingers between his and starts walking toward their gate. What are you doing? He whispers in her ear. She just winks at him and subtly guides them into a crowd. A bump. Excuse me. A suitcase grazes her leg. A mom yells at her children. Shoving, a man speaks over a loud intercom. Linnell takes the moment to carefully pull his phone from his back pocket and drop it to the ground. Thankfully, he feels the drop of his phone and mutters a curse as he lets go of Linnell's hand to reach down and retrieve the phone. Her heart pounds in her ears. She takes multiple large steps forward through the crowd and into a store. 
She hides behind a bookcase and feels the back of her hands become slick with sweat. She grabs a book, opens it, and rests her hot forehead against the pages. Price doesn't shout for her, but she sees him run past the store, grab a girl with similar brown hair as hers, and turn her around. She yells, and while Price is apologizing, Linnell returns the book to the shelf and slides out of the store, heading back in the direction they came. An old man sets his bag down and walks to a counter. Linnell grabs the bag and keeps walking. Two gates down, a woman takes off her sweater, drapes it over her seat, and walks to the trash can. Linnell grabs the sweater and pulls it on over her shoulders, quickening her pace. She turns a corner, leans against the wall, and opens the bag. There's a beanie inside. She pulls over her head before zipping up the bag, sliding it into the middle of the aisle, and continuing her trek through the airport. Linnell Mize, please check in at gate A12, someone says over the speaker. Linnell needs to leave the airport. She stops and glances around. A security guard catches her eyes and starts toward her. She pulls the beanie lower and sees a sign that points her to the exit. Before she makes it three steps, a hand curls around her arm and jerks her back. She shouts in protest and turns to yell at Price, fully expecting him to be fuming at her. All the hope she'd felt drips from her body, and rage fizzles at the edge of her mind. The grip on her arm is harder than Price has ever held her. Hey, will you? The words catch in her throat when she makes eye contact with an older man. His face is carved with wrinkles, and there's a scar across his nose. He sneers, and she gets a whiff of his breath that makes her stomach curl in on itself. I've been looking for you for almost three days. You're a hard girl to get a hold of, he says. His voice is gritty, and he pulls her closer. Then that dumbass found you first, and he doesn't even know how to get information without getting soft and letting the contact guilt him into releasing her. Figures he wouldn't be able to separate personal life from the job at hand. Linnell's breaths are quick and short, and her heart beats faster. She can't even comprehend what he said about Price, or the fact that he called her a contact. What the heck is a contact? His hold on her arm is too painful, and the fear building in her chest is even more overwhelming than when she heard Price register her. She claws at his hand and glances around for help desperately, a guard starts toward them. Let go of me, help, she shouts, pulling away from the man. She turns to the guard, help. The man pulls a paper and ID out and shoves them in the guard's face. No, 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 no. Linnell looks from the stranger to the paper, to the guard, her world melting in front of her. You, Linnell Mars, the guard asks. The question is rhetorical. He can surely tell from the paper and her photo displayed on the front that the registration is legal. I've registered her, the man confirms. His grip somehow gets tighter, and Linnell gasps. Her legs give out from under her, and she falls to her knees, which forces her arm into a weird angle and sends pain dancing through her arm. Well, keep it civil or take it outside, the guard says. Wait, Linnell wants to yell, can't you see he's hurting me? But the air seems to be taken from her lungs, and she can't gather the energy to say anything. Get up, the man orders, pulling at Linnell's arm. 
She moves her feet and sways, taking a deep breath. She half-heartedly tries to tug her arm out of his grip again. Who, she gasps, shut up. He pulls her against his chest, lets go of her arms, and grabs both of her shoulders. Tell me the code. She blinks at him. What? He shakes her, don't play dumb. Tell me the code and I'll kill you faster. Linnell looks around. A few rubberneckers have turned to watch the scene with wide, curious eyes. One man even walks closer, his lips twitching into a sick grin as he pulls out a phone and starts taking pictures. Most everyone else has turned away, ignoring just another registration. I don't know what co- He pulls a hand back and slaps her in the face with so much force that she is thrown back and hits the ground with a loud crack. She blinks and opens her eyes to see the world swirl and distort, as if falling down a drain and into a dream. Hey, the guard shouts, take it outside. The man grabs her arms and yanks her back to her feet and flush against his chest. She winces, turning her head to the side so his hot breath brushes over her cheek. It's pointless trying to fight. If I don't get it out of you, the next one will. You can't keep the code a secret forever. Her brain tumbles as she tries to figure out the meaning of his words. At her silence, his lips peel back to reveal crooked off-white teeth. Tell me, you stupid bit. All at once, his grip on her is removed, and Linnell steps back, too stunned to run again. Her arm throbs, and she coughs, blinking at the sight of Price tackling the man to the ground. Several more bystanders have gotten their phones out, and Linnell looks at them without truly seeing anyone. The two men grapple on the floor, and Linnell's breaths are coming faster and faster until she begins to feel lightheaded. A group of Elysian regulators runs over, one knocking into her. She doesn't fight it as she falls to the floor, everything going black. The bed is soft, holding her gently like a concerned lover. Her limbs are heavy and too comfortable to even think about moving them. There's still a dull pain in the back of her head, but she almost doesn't notice it amongst the flurry of thoughts. She opens her eyes and instantly closes them again against the light. You're awake, someone says. Linnell moans and blinks again. The light assaults her eyes like tiny arrows until her vision can adjust. She sits up, looking at Price, who's sitting on a bed a foot away. He's watching her with more concern than she expected. You okay? Linnell lifts her hand and rubs her forehead. She stretches her head from side to side until her neck gives a small crack. There's an ice pack next to her on the bed, and she frowns at it, looking back to Price. What the? Why did you run away? Price interrupts. She blinks and looks at him again. He shakes his head, stands up, and starts pacing. You're more of an idiot than I expected. He could have broken your arm. You're lucky you got out of that with just a black eye and a few bruises, maybe a small concussion. Linnell's lips part like she wants to argue or ask questions, but words don't form. She must be in shock. I was going to take you back to Dallas, and now we have to stay at this shitty motel for another night. 
If you would have just stayed with me, then that lumbering idiot never would have gotten close to you. Shit, Linnell, couldn't you just listen to me? Who? She starts, but he turns around and squats next to her. Do you want to die? Because it seems like you do. He stands again, shaking his hands out at his side. God, he shouts. She flinches at the exclamation, and he gives her an almost apologetic look. No one prepared me for such a difficult price. He stops pacing and turns to her. What? Linnell turns, dropping her legs over the side of the bed. Whatever bruises she has must be deep, because the movement causes a slight spike of pain. She grits her teeth, and Price walks closer, settling his hand on her shoulder to steady her. Careful, he mutters. His voice is filled with so much concern, and she can't understand why he cares, not after registering her. What happened? Who was that? He said, she swallows and finishes, words quieter now. He said, he registered me. I think his name is Jared or something stupid. I knocked him out. The regulators were ready to arrest me, but I explained that you were my registration. And you know how they get, protect a man's registration or some shit like that. You fainted, I had to carry you. I'm sure Jared will come looking for us soon, but I can handle him. For how long? A few hours, it's almost seven. She blinks, hours? This isn't the first time she's fainted from a panic attack, but she always wakes up after just a few seconds. What's going on? He shakes his head. I can't. Price. Stop, Linnell. I can't say. Not now. Not until I get you to Dallas. God, why couldn't you just stay with me? The others won't be patient or gentle with you. They're brutes, Linnell. They just want to win. They? Win what? Her throat burns, but she's desperate for answers. The reward. There are at least 10 people after it. They registered you, and they won't stop looking for you. Whoever gets you first has the best chance of getting the reward. You've got to stay with me. Reward? Who would care enough about her to offer a reward for registering and capturing her? Selling your registration is rare enough, but the only people who ever had a bounty on their head were dangerous criminals. Why should I stay with you, she asks. You registered me too. Price frowns and drops to the bed next to her. Yeah. Why? Price turns to her and cocks his head. His eyes are glassy, and he reaches out to tuck a strand of hair behind her ear. Because my d I had to. I didn't have a, I didn't want one of them to. He pulls his hand down his face, shaking his head before saying, I don't know, Linnell, but you've got to trust me. She scoffs, seriously, right now we need to get you to Dallas. Promise me you won't run away again. Price, and call me Zach. I hate it when you call me Price. Why? He shakes his head and drops his hands into his lap. He looks at them as if they're covered in blood. Soon, Linnell, I swear. But just promise me. Price, Linnell. He turns to her again, eyes so full of pleading that 
For a moment, Linnell falters and forgets that this man will kill her in less than two weeks. She sees so much of her own fear in his eyes that a small part of her wants to reach out and give him a hug. But mostly, she wants to slap him and demand answers. She makes a compromise with herself and grits her teeth before saying, Zack. He grins. I wish you weren't who you are, Linnell. But you are. And I am who I am. This is our situation, and we have to deal with it as best we can. She's about to ask more questions, but Price leans forward, grabs a pill and a cup from the bedside table, and hands them to her. Go to sleep. Tomorrow, we're going home. Day four. Nightmares wake her up and cling to her all morning. She ignores Price when he asks what's wrong, but takes the pain meds he offers as she heads for the bathroom. With no shower, Linnell settles for splashing water on her face and taking deep, calming breaths. She leans over the sink and gently places two fingers under the cut on her cheekbone. Color is just beginning to form around the wound, and she knows in a few hours it will be a proper black eye. She's no stranger to cuts and bruises. She's even had her fair share of broken bones. But something about seeing her reflection this morning makes her feel small and insignificant. Soon, she'll just be another casualty of the registration, not a victim. Those who are registered are never referred to as victims. Eric Elysian once said, the real victims were the citizens oppressed and practically enslaved by the government before the Civil War. But you are no longer a victim. You are free. You have power and a choice. You have the registration. She once watched that speech four times in a row, trying to convince herself to take a stand against Alan so she would no longer be victimized. But she didn't. And now, she'll never have the chance again. Just ordered a car. They're seven minutes away, Price says, when she emerges from the bathroom, hair in a loose bun to ease the growing headache. Linnell nods and grabs one of the plastic cups sitting next to an empty ice bucket. She fills it with water from the bathroom, ignoring how cloudy it is before downing all of it. It's not like she'll be alive long enough to worry about getting sick from unfiltered water. The car is waiting at the curb, and the driver, an older man who grew up here, talks nonstop during the drive. He tells them about all six of his children, that his oldest is planning to run for office. She has a bit of a crush on Elysian's son, can't remember his name. The guy's never in the spotlight, not like his dad. Well, my girl is going to change that. They'll be a power couple. The Elysian kid with the registration and my girl in the government. Think of what they'll do together. Linnell never gets a word in, much less to tell the guy that the current leaders have already done quite a lot together. Price keeps his face down and eyes staring at the phone in his lap, as if unwilling to even look at the man, much less speak to him. Traffic ahead, the driver calls back. Might be an extra few minutes. Linnell looks out the window as they turn onto what looks to be the main road downtown. 
She cranes her neck to try and get a better look at the gateway arch that dominates the skyline. A few minutes later, they drive past the cause of traffic. The open space and green lawns under the arch are crawling with people sitting, standing, walking, and chanting. Many are holding signs that all say a variation of the same thing, end the registration. Register the allegiance, murder is murder, legal or not. Legal does not equal moral. Eric Elysian is a bastard. Registration is not choice. I didn't realize there were still so many rebels, she says, almost to herself. There's always more during the two-week registration period. After, people seem to go about their lives and forget, Price replies. She can't go about her life, can't forget. Only 11 days left. If they only care when it's relevant, do they really care? Price scoffs. That is the question, isn't it? Linnell turns away from the window and frowns at him. Maybe they have a point, Linnell says. But she doesn't believe her own words. She sympathizes with the rebels, more so after meeting Daniel. But if she had to pick a side, she'd never turn against the registration. It's the only thing offering a shred of freedom from people like Alan. They're fanatics, radicals, rebels, Price says, his voice laced with disdain. He looks up, focusing on Linnell. They forget that there is no perfect world. Overturning the registration or this government would leave a huge empty space anything could fill. What comes next could be worse. Wouldn't the revolutionists be prepared to fill that empty space? Linnell asks. Daniel explained once how the rebels planned to overthrow the government right after succeeding in their main goal of ending the registration. He said they wanted to get rid of the oligarchy and replace it with a system that gives individuals more of a say. Destabilizing the current system would leave us vulnerable to foreign powers, Price says, looking through the back window where the protest is now growing small as they drive away. The West Mediterranean Federation may try to conquer us, and they're a dictatorship governed by brutal force. Brutal force? Wasn't that also an accurate description of the registration? Linnell doesn't have the energy to argue. As they reach the airport, Price pulls a hat over Linnell's head, tucking all the hair underneath. You're not going to run away from me this time, are you? He asks while he tugs the hat down. No point, is there? His lips press together, as if the statement offends him. The security line is shorter this time, but it still takes half an hour to get through. Don't know why they allow weapons during registration season, Linnell mutters, as the security guard inspects Price's gun. To limit hindrances for completing registrations, Price says, after thanking the man, and sliding his gun back into the bag. Then why allow everyone? Why not just people who have registered that quarter? Price grabs her right hand after they pass through the metal detectors and leads her in the direction of their gate. Simplicity's sake? Yeah, Linnell fills her voice with sarcasm, practically feeling it drip from each word. Because everything about the registration is so simple, to Linnell's surprise, Price laughs. 
When they reach their gate, Linnell sits in the corner and rests her head against the wall. Price pulls two protein bars from his bag, handing one to Linnell. Her stomach rumbles painfully at the sight, and she takes it without comment. A loudspeaker crackles on, and then a woman's crisp, clear voice begins to speak. Good morning, passengers. Leaning forward and glancing to her right, Linnell can see a tall, curvy woman with unblemished brown skin and pink hair braided in an intricate crown on top of her head, speaking into a microphone. This is the pre-boarding announcement for Flight 89B to Dallas. We are now inviting those passengers with small children and any passengers requiring special assistance to board at this time. Have your boarding pass and identification ready. Regular boarding will begin in approximately 10 minutes' time. Please remember that the use of weapons is prohibited on the aircraft. No registrations may be completed on this or any flight for health and sanitation reasons. Non-compliance with this will result in prosecution despite any registration immunities. Thank you. The speaker clicks off, and Linnell leans back, closing her eyes. When the woman calls for Group 5 to board, Price nudges her calf with his foot. That's us, he says. Linnell nods and follows Price to join the queue. The flight attendant smiles at her, and to her own surprise, Linnell manages to smile back. Linnell sees the woman look at the bruise forming around Linnell's eye and cheek, but she doesn't say anything other than, have a good flight. Price nods and ushers them both into the tube, leading them to the plane. The air is stuffy, and Linnell feels herself getting lightheaded. She grasps Price's hand to steady herself. You okay? He asks. Yeah. They finally reach their row, and she sinks into the window seat. Price sits next to her and places his hand over her forehead. You're burning up, he says, concern lacing his voice. Here, he rummages in his bag before pulling out two pills. Will they knock me out? Linnell asks. Shouldn't, though sleeping now wouldn't be a bad thing. It's a two-hour flight. Linnell shakes her head. I don't trust you, Price. Zach, he says. It's not happening. Well, I'm napping. I didn't get much sleep last night and will need the energy today. Wake me if anything interesting happens. He crosses his arms, settles his head against the seat, and closes his eyes. Linnell glares and buckles her seatbelt, then stares out the window, watching the baggage handlers throw suitcases from a large metal container onto a conveyor leading up to the cargo hold. When the plane takes off, Linnell is pushed further into her seat. Almost half an hour later, the flight attendants walk down the aisles with two carts, one with drinks and one with snacks. Anything to drink? The attendant's bright red hair is pulled into a bun. Some tea, please, and he'll have red wine, she says, gesturing to Price, who is still sound asleep. She lowers both of their tray tables and accepts the drinks with a smile. She places the wine on his and the tea on her own. When the next cart comes, Linnell gets a cookie for herself and pretzels for Price. He continues to sleep as she eats the pretzels first, then the cookies. She downs the wine quickly before sipping on the tea. 
Over an hour into the flight, Linnell looks up and sees a skinny man with a patchy beard staring at her. Her face heats up, and she becomes keenly aware of her body's every inch. She looks down, out the window, and runs her fingers through her hair. She counts to ten before looking up again. He's still staring. She mimics him, filling her own stare with as much venom as she can manage. He grins. Linnell seethes. Want a picture? She asks, loudly enough for him to hear. Several other people turn to look at her, but she doesn't remove her gaze from him. He tilts his head, unbuckles, and stands. Linnell almost shakes Price awake, but instead sits straighter and keeps her eyes trained on the man as he walks over. He sits in the empty aisle seat in their row. Picture won't work. I need you, he says. His voice is low, and Linnell sees Price twitch, but not stir. You don't even realize what's happening, do you? Linnell frowns. I know more than you think, she lies. Oh, he perks up. So you know about the code? Yes. He raises his eyebrows and leans forward, gaze searching hers. After a few seconds, he sits back. No, you don't, which is probably good. If you did, you'd die faster. But we all need it, and you're the one who has it. So at least you'll be alive until one of us gets it. Won't be you. If not me, then one of my colleagues. If none of them, Zach here will. He looks down at Price, his face full of hatred. If he wants it, he'll get it. You'll give it to him, no problem. He looks back up at Linnell. And you'll even think that you're doing the right thing, that you can trust the idiot. But after you hand it over, you know what he'll do? Linnell pushes her mouth into a thin line. She feels the truth of his words and each syllable like a needle in her skin. She doesn't want to agree with him. She doesn't want to think that one day she may trust Price or give him anything he wants. He'll kill you. And if there's anyone you love, he'll kill them too. But we've been watching you for a year now. A sad life. No husband, no kids, no family. At least, none that you love. The man leans forward, his smile widening. Your mother, once, but she's gone. Daddy's gone. Alan is still here, isn't he? He tilts his head. You'd want us to kill him, though. So I think we won't. I think we'll let that bastard roam free, marry new women, and have more stepdaughters, too. He suddenly stops talking. And at first, Linnell thinks her anger took over, and she'd punched him like she desperately wanted to. Then she sees Price's arms around the man's neck, his eyes bulging. The man is turned at an awkward angle, so his head is almost in Price's lap. The move was quiet, and none of the passengers are looking yet, but they're bound to take notice soon. You talk too much, Marcus, Price says. It's going to get you registered one day. Marcus struggles in Price's grip, and his face starts to turn purple. Didn't he tell you not to register, Linnell? You won't win, and you're just in the way. You're not a researcher, Marcus. You never will be. 
poor thing. You're just a nuisance allowed to stick around because my father says so. Price leans closer to Marcus and whispers in his ear, if you so much as look in Linnell's direction again, I will rip you apart. You'll never even get a taste of the reward. Price sits up, and Linnell thinks if he doesn't let go of Marcus soon, he'll pass out. I'm going to let go in five seconds. Return to your seat, face forward, and when the plane lands, go home and forget any of this happened, okay? With limited movement, Marcus gives a weak nod. Good. Price lets go, and Marcus takes a deep breath that pulls a few eyes toward him. He holds onto his neck for a moment, still sucking air in, as if Price is going to cut his oxygen off again. He glares at Price and Linnell one more time, then returns to his seat, looking straight ahead. Next time, wake me up, Price says, his voice like a growl. Sorry, she mutters, wanting to ask him a million questions, but sensing that now is definitely not the time. It's fine. Price is steadily looking at his hands in his lap, and his voice seems exhausted. The plane shakes with turbulence, and Linnell grasps the arms of her seat. He'll kill you. And anyone she may love, Marcus said. She can't help but think of Daniel. I'm sorry, Price says, after a long stretch of silence. Linnell looks up to see him staring at her. What? For... For seeing you as nothing but a means to an end, and for, he stops and swallows, averting his gaze, for wanting to register you. But not for registering me? Price shakes his head. That couldn't have been avoided. But everything else wasn't necessary. Kidnapping you, holding you at gunpoint. This, he reaches up and gently touches her black eye. I'm sorry. Linnell pushes his hand away. How is Daniel involved, she asks. Price laughs. He's not. That man is pure through and through. He'd never be involved with the likes of us. Who is us? His eyes flick to the side, and he licks his bottom lip. When it's clear he doesn't intend to answer the question, she asks, if Daniel isn't involved, then how did he know? That, apparently. Price has no trouble sharing. I told him. You did? Why? Linnell tries to snub the anxious curiosity in her gut, but it burns, threatening to overtake her. I honestly don't know. Moment of weakness? Second guessing? Pride? Did I want his help? Or did I want him to see how cool, how important I am? Price shrugs and gives a self-deprecating chuckle. He looks back at her then, squinting as if to study her. I don't know who I am. Damn, he shakes his head. That sounds so lame, but it's true. You don't know who you are, she says, each word monotone and face void of emotion. That's a cop-out. Who are you anyway? And who are all the other men registering me? Price seems to struggle with himself for a moment before saying, we all work for the same guy. Who? He shakes his head. And this guy is the one who wanted me registered? He nods. 
Is he why we're going back to Dallas? You're taking me to him? Price nods again. Did you forget how to speak? He laughs and shakes his head. Linnell notices Marcus flinch at the laughter, but he doesn't turn around. He must be terrified of Price. If these violent men are scared of Price, then Linnell wonders why her own fear seems to be dissolving. Why didn't he just do it himself? Linnell asks. The idea of a man so powerful he can make others use their registration on her makes Frost fill her chest. Price reaches forward and grabs all the trash on her tray table. Didn't want to leave me anything? He raises an eyebrow. It's fine. We'll be in Dallas any minute now, and I bet there will be a full dinner ready for us. Price winks at Linnell. Linnell scowls, but before she can reply, the pilot's voice echoes through the plane, letting them know that they've started the descent. Linnell watches Marcus leave the plane in a hurry. Price doesn't move from his seat until everyone else has disembarked. Then he grabs Linnell's hand and leads her down the aisle. She's annoyed to realize that his grip around her arm is more calming than it is unnerving. Maybe Marcus was wrong. Maybe Price won't kill her. Maybe once the guy who sent him gets what he wants, Price will help her make it through the rest of the registration period, alive. After today, there will only be 10 more days left to survive. It's pointless to hope, she knows. She's barely survived the first four days. There's no way she'll make it 10 more. When they walk into baggage claim, she sees a man in a pitch black suit, black sunglasses, and a white hat holding a sign that reads, E. Zack. Price stops in front of the man, yanking Linnell to a halt. Hey, Zimmer, he says with a nod. Sir, the man responds. He lowers the sign and grabs Price's bag. Linnell frowns, looking from this man, Zimmer, back up at Price, who just shrugs and pulls her along to follow the man outside. They don't have to walk far. Right outside the door is a black hatchback with tinted windows. It shines in the daylight, and even though Linnell doesn't know much about cars, she can tell this one is probably expensive. Next to the passenger seat stands a tall man with muscles bigger than his black shirt can handle. He's in simple black pants, and two holsters hang around his arms, both of which are holding guns. Linnell stops walking and sucks in a breath, fear lancing through her body. Price grabs her hand and turns to face her. It's okay. He's here to protect us and only protect. He didn't register you, he says, calmly and quietly, so the other two men can't hear him. Linnell searches his gaze, but finds no trace of a lie. Not that she's confident she would know if he were lying, but it's enough to make her nod. The large man doesn't look at her as he opens the door. Price thanks him and climbs in. Linnell pauses to study his face. It's covered in tiny scars, as are his arms. Coming? Price asks from inside the car. His eyes are glinting, as if he's proud of her reaction to their entourage. She clears her throat and follows him into the car. Zimmer and the large man follow, closing and locking the doors behind them. No music plays as Zimmer drives, and the car 
moves almost silently, so Linnell is left to stew in her thoughts. She tries to ignore how Price's posture straightens, and his hands regularly curl in and out of fists as they drive. She looks at the two men in the front, who both stare forward with unwavering attention, backs rigid. The large man's hands rest on his thighs, eerily close to his guns. Zimmer's hands gently curl around the steering wheel, and he drives with more caution than is necessary. They take a turn, and Linnell sways, her heartbeat speeding up. Where are we going? She whispers to Price. You'll see, he whispers back. He reaches up and rubs his neck. Linnell notices tiny beads of sweat covering the back of his hands. His nervous unease does nothing to calm Linnell, and it feels as if all the veins in her body are on fire, vibrating with the need to get out of the car and run. Linnell's not sure how long they've been on the road. There is a lot of traffic, but Zimmer never gets closer than 10 feet to the cars in front of him. It's as if they're carrying the president. She turns back to Price. Who are you? She asks. He laughs. The question is, who are you? The car pulls to a stop. Price blows out a large breath, rubs his hands together and through his hair, and looks at Linnell. Ready? For what? But he doesn't answer. The house is so grand, Linnell feels like a speck on its sparkly clean surface. There are four large cream white pillars in the front, framing the porch, where two more large and muscular men stand. Each man holds three guns, two in holsters and one grasped in hand. Price leads her out of the car and holds her sweaty hand with his own as they walk. And if she wasn't too preoccupied with what lies ahead, she'd find the mixture of sweat gross. Zimmer walks in front of them and the bodyguard behind. The house is a blend of white, cream, and gold. The window rails and weather stripping are gold, giving them an untouchable look. The corners of the house are round, and there's a chimney on the far left side. Neither guard looks at them as they walk to the front door. Linnell attempts to ignore her surroundings, watching her feet as they climb the steps to keep her anxiety at bay. The door is flung open before Zimmer even reaches it. Linnell looks up and sees a man standing on the threshold, smiling. He's wearing a blue suit with golden vertical lines, a gold pocket square, and a dark yellow tie. His hair is dark brown, with flecks of gray and slicked back. Linnell notices the lack of guns, and the way his clothes seem to pull tight around his midsection, as if struggling to hold in a gut that wasn't always that round. Linnell knows this man. She's seen him before. The eerie familiarity makes her body feel cold, but she can't place him. It's as if his name is right in front of her eyes, but blurred just enough so she can't read it. Zachary, my boy, he says, holding his arms out. He sounds happy, despite the deep frown. Well, that took a while. Price lets go of Linnell's hand and steps in front of the man. Price is probably four inches taller, but still dips his head in a near bow. I know, sir. I would say I was sorry, but it was quite an impossible job. 
the man. How does she know him? Scowls before grabbing his belly and leaning forward with a deep laugh. Trained for 28 years, and you find registering and bringing Linnell home an impossible job? One you weren't even hired to do, mind you. Linnell perks up at that bit of news. Price wasn't supposed to register her. Price shrugs. You're the one who gave an incentive no one could ignore, which, I might add, was more hindering than it was helpful. Was it? Yes. Well. The man sighs loudly and claps his hands together. Linnell flinches. I guess you better come in. You both look in need of a shower and a nice meal. For the first time, he turns his attention to Linnell. Then, I suppose we should talk, darling. Darling? The only other person ever to call her darling was her mother. You must have many questions, the man says. An understatement, Linnell thinks, but her throat is too dry to form words. Come in, come in. He turns to the side, extending an arm. Price walks over the threshold without grabbing her hand, which forces her to walk into the unfamiliar house alone. The inside is just as grand. There's a large front entrance hall and a curved staircase on the left. What looks to be a dining room is located to the right, and the left opens into a sitting room with at least two couches and four armchairs. I hope my son has been pleasant company, the man says, looking back at Linnell. She freezes. Son? She looks at Price. He stares at his feet, a blush tinting his cheeks. He can be quite the charmer when he wants to be, the man says, dropping his hand on Price's shoulder. Despite being taller and stronger and younger than the other man, Price still looks small, standing next to his father. His father. Price doesn't just work for this man who wants her dead so badly. He's this man's son. Linnell tries to swallow, but her mouth is so dry there's barely any saliva. Her chest is tight with fear and the need to know who this man is. Showers first, I think. Zachary will show you to your room, Linnell. You'll find a shower and a set of fresh clothes on the bed, Price's father says. She wants to ask why they're getting showers and dinner, why he cares about her cleanliness or comfort when they're just going to kill her. Linnell steals a glance at Price, whose jaw is set firmly. I would advise against trying to escape. My guards are armed and stationed strategically in anticipation of your arrival. Though they have been instructed not to kill you, I have given them the liberty to do what they need to keep you detained. He says it with a sick amount of joy in his voice, and Linnell fights the desire to run. Up you go, dinner is almost ready. And I don't want to eat it cold if it can be avoided. Price waves her forward. They walk up the staircase in silence, and Linnell looks around with wide eyes. Everything is a subtle cream color with gold and red accents. A large chandelier hangs from the ceiling, and muted red rugs lead up the stairs and along the hallways. Whoever this guy is, he clearly can't help but show off. Price turns left, and as soon as they are out of sight, 
Linnell lets out a heavy breath. So, Linnell says, voice cracking, I just met your dad. Price grimaces, uh, yeah. Which means you grew up here. She almost groans at the juvenile statement when there is so much more to be asked. Price grins, kind of. I stayed at the nanny's house most of the time, with a whole gaggle of personal guards. Dad spared no expense at keeping me safe, even if he didn't put in the effort himself. He shrugs and turns them into the third room on the right. All comes with the territory, I guess. Linnell wants to ask what territory that is, but stops short at the room they entered. It's beautiful. The bed is huge with a blush pink canopy. The vanity matches the color. A tall wardrobe made of dark wood sits in one corner. A pink dress, a pair of gold heels, and a gold hat are displayed on the bed. Recessed overhead lighting bathes the room in a bright light, but there are no windows. There is nothing that's loose and could easily be picked up, like a lamp or a potted plant. What? She mutters, yeah, dad is serious about his standards. He may not expect you to be alive in a few more days, but until then, you'll be who he thinks you should be. The words cut deep as she steps into the room and up to the bed. And who does he think I should be? She asks, curling her fingers around the dress. The silk is cool and fluid under her touch. You'll get your answers at dinner. Price says. He sounds tired, like walking into his childhood home sucked all of his energy. Bathroom is through that door. He points to the only door in the room, other than the one they just walked through. I'm across the hall. Listen. He steps closer. You're going to learn a lot at dinner, but promise me one thing. Whatever you find out, remember, that doesn't change who you are. I thought I knew you, but I, I didn't. Know that you are. What the hell does that mean? Linnell asks, turning to face him. Why can't you just tell me what's going on instead of playing some stupid game? Price gives a small smile and shrugs. Stay in here after you're dressed and I'll come get you. Linnell frowns but nods. He turns and closes the door behind him. The air weighs down on Linnell, and she leans her head against the bedpost. She closes her eyes and tries to summon tears. None come, though, so she takes a deep breath and heads to shower. The first thing she notices in the bathroom is not the grandeur or large tub. It's the toilet. There are no lids, neither on the tank nor the toilet itself. When she notices that there's also no mirror, it dawns on her that anything that could be used as a weapon was removed from the room. She can't decide if she's annoyed that they stripped her of anything she could use to defend herself, or pleased that they think she is capable of using a toilet lid to escape. She turns on the shower, not even processing the perfect water pressure. When she's finished, she wraps a towel around her and opens the door. Price is sitting on the bed facing away. What the hell? She gasps, gripping the towel tighter. Sorry, he says. 
he doesn't turn around, which she's grateful for. I have to escort you downstairs, and I'd rather wait in here so no one else comes in. I'll face this way while you dress. Price? Linnell, we need to hurry. He won't be happy if we're late for dinner. She grits her teeth but speeds up anyway. Carefully, she pulls the dress over her head and straightens it before sitting on the bed to put on the shoes. You can turn around, she mutters. Price does, and she can tell he approves of what he sees. He's wearing a suit the same blue color as his father's, but with no stripes, tie, or pocket square. Do I have to wear this stupid hat? Price laughs. Unless you want to put my dad in a temper. Linnell grabs the hat and puts it on. It sits at an angle on her head, the stiff brim twice the size of a normal hat. Okay, let's go. He heads for the door and pulls it open, gesturing her through. Remember what I said, he says, before they descend the stairs. Deep down, you are who you are, no matter what you hear tonight. Linnell nods. She can hear her heartbeat in her ears. Price leads them into the dining room, where his father is already sitting at the head of a very long table. There are three guards in the room, two covering the exits. Price's father stands up and gestures for them to approach the chairs on either side of him. Two men step forward and pull out the chairs before retreating. Linnell gulps as Zach separates from her to approach his seat on the far side of the table, next to his father. I'm so glad you two can finally join me, Price's dad says. Mr. Price, at least Linnell assumes that's his name, clasps his hands together, and his face forms an odd grimace of a smile. We have much to discuss, but first, I'm sure you're hungry. Linnell keeps her eyes trained on Zach, who nods. Great, the chef has prepared salmon, so please, sit and enjoy. Both men sit, and Linnell follows their lead, pulling her chair closer to the table. She stares down at her plate, her mouth watering. There's a large piece of salmon on a bed of avocado. Asparagus and potatoes round out the offerings, and a glass of wine sits in front of her plate. She goes for that first, not even waiting to see what the men do, before downing the entire glass. Mr. Price laughs. Nervous? Don't worry, darling. I suspect you'll finish the day safely in that beautiful bed upstairs. Not much reassured, Linnell digs into the food, too hungry to even consider not eating out of protest. They eat in silence, and when the last plate, Zach's, is cleaned, a young woman enters the room and gathers their dishes before disappearing. All right, now that we're all full, let's talk. Linnell leans forward, meeting the man's deep brown eyes. Her legs are numb with fear, but the promise of answers keeps her from shaking or puking. Linnell, I think first it's time you know my name. He sits up straighter. I am Eric Elysian. Realization slams into her like an ice waterfall. That's why he seemed familiar. She sees him on a poster or on TV or on her phone every single day. How she didn't recognize him sooner, she'll never know.
Elysian. She's sitting at the dining room table of the Eric Elysian. Eric Elysian knows who she is. Why on earth would Eric Elysian want to register her, of all people? She looks to Price as another realization dawns on her. If Eric Elysian is Price's father, then that means Price is not Price. Price is Elysian. She gasps. My family has given so much to this country since the Civil War. Price's father, Mr. Elysian, she now knows, hums in satisfaction. You'd be surprised how many people forget how bad it was before the war ended, when the government controlled everything, and citizens had no power or control, and murder and mayhem filled the streets with innocent blood. He sits back and claps a hand on his son's shoulder. The man you know as Zachary Price is my son, Zachary Elysian. Price is the name he uses in public. Even the system knows him as Zachary Price, though, of course, Zachary Price can no more be registered than Zachary Elysian can. It's to keep him safe, to guard his identity. Linnell turns to Zach, searching for eye contact, but he's staring at the table. The Elysians are practically royals, though technically businessmen. Their regulators keep order during registration season. They hold the power everyone craves while staying out of the government. They're the only people in the country who can't be registered. And, of course, they're filthy rich. For almost 70 years, the registration has been in place, working perfectly, keeps our population in check, and solves dozens of problems, like abortion. Half the country wanted it to be illegal. Imagine that, forcing women to have a baby no matter the situation, no matter the danger to mom or baby. And the other half wanted it legal. Women, free to end any pregnancy at any time, to kill as many unborn babies as they wanted, no repercussions. Linnell stares at her plate, her hands gripped tightly together under the table as Elysian's words wash over her. They couldn't find a middle ground, and that's just one issue that drove this country to civil war. With the registration, the issue is solved. End a pregnancy if you want, but after that, take measures to keep from getting pregnant again. All birth control is already free, but did you also know that anyone using the registration on a pregnancy must learn about all other options beforehand? She did know that. Schools teach that and give out birth control to anyone who wants it, no questions asked. Our desire is to give citizens the power to make choices without permitting chaos. Elysian pushes his chest out and lifts his chin as he talks. Linnell has heard all of this before, in school, on TV, in pamphlets, and in magazines. But something about hearing it straight from the lips of the man himself, as he sits a foot away, makes everything seem grander. Before our time, our country was practically drowning due to uncontrollable population growth. Not enough room for all the elders and terminally ill who needed full-time care. No homes for all the unwanted children. People had to rely on the justice system, which often failed them. 
Guilty people got off, and no one could do anything about it. You had no right to claim your own justice from another. The death penalty issue split the country apart in every election cycle. Now, taking a life in the name of justice is in the hands of individual citizens. Use your registration to end the life of a heinous criminal, someone who has done you wrong, and rid the world of one evil. Or trust the system to keep them locked up. It's your choice. Linnell looks up at Eric, who is smiling wide. Our country was deteriorating under the Civil War, and my family came up with the perfect solution, a self-regulatory system, the registration. He pauses, waiting for the effect of his words to sink in. Now, you're probably wondering where you come in. Linnell fights the urge to nod vigorously. You, Linnell, are much more important than you'll ever know. And you have information that you may not even realize you have. Linnell frowns. I wonder what you would say if I told you that I need a secret code, a very important cipher, to keep the registration running smoothly and the country from falling back into lawless turmoil. Eric Lesion says, leaning across the table, so he's much closer to her. She thinks about what those men said. They wanted some sort of code from her. Eric Elysian smiles. I see the recognition in your eyes. You know about this code, don't you? Linnell sucks her cheeks into her teeth, biting down. She can't help but flick her eyes away from the man in front of her. You do, he snaps loudly. I need that code, and you have it in your head. Linnell looks back at him, suddenly finding her voice. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't have a code. I'd never even heard of it until one of your men attacked me. Her mind tumbles over itself, digging through his words, and every corner of her memory in a desperate search for anything that could be considered a code. But she doesn't even know what it would be, or how or why she would know it. She doesn't know why Eric Elysian thinks she has any information he doesn't. She has no idea why she would have anything to do with the operations of the registration. She turns to Price, Zach, looking for a clue as to what to say. All she sees in his eyes is sadness and resignation, as if this was the moment he's been dreading. Ah, but you do, Eric Elysian says. When you were a child, barely four, I believe, your father was killed. Linnell's attention snaps back to him. How did you know that? Eric smirks. I know a lot about you. I know, for example, that your father wrote you a letter before he died. All the food she just ate is no longer settling easily in her stomach. How would Eric Elysian know her father, much less know that he wrote a letter to her, a letter she read so often her mom suggested she memorize it. Her father was no one, just a nameless, faceless man who, if her mother could be believed, loved her, but never got to know her. Why do you care, she asks. I didn't even know the man, 
So why would a letter he wrote to his bastard child matter to you, one of the most powerful men in the country? Mr. Elysian drags his finger along the top of his wine glass, his eyes firmly trained on her. You may not have known him, but I did. I knew your father well. What? Linnell gasps. She grips her dress under the table, body tensing with the shock of it. He was a king, her mom used to say. But Linnell had long since decided that her mom had made that up to comfort a scared and abandoned child. But if Eric Elysian, the closest thing to a king this country ever had, knew her father, then maybe her mom was not so wrong after all. Eric nods. Yes, your dad and I were quite close once, and I would bet anything he secretly hid the code inside the contents of the letter he wrote you all those years ago. What? No, he, Linnell begins. Eric leans back in his chair, holding up his hand. I know without a shadow of a doubt that your father had this key. He was the only person who did, and not only that, he also knew he was going to die soon. He would never let such important information die with him. And the only person he would entrust it to is you. Linnell is already shaking her head. I was a child, and he didn't know me. Why would he trust me with anything? Because you are his child. It is tradition to pass it down through the family. Your father got the code from his father. Eric taps the table in a rhythmic pattern, starting with his pointer finger and ending with his pinky. The sound grates on Linnell's nerves. The palms of her hands are clammy, so she rubs them against the dress, trying to dry off any sweat. You're telling me that this man had information so important that you, of all people, want it. And he, what? He wrote a letter to a child he didn't know so he could hide some code, hoping I would one day decipher it and know what to do with it? Something about the preposterous idea fills her with some much-needed confidence. She sits up taller and meets Eric's stare. I'm aware it sounds unbelievable. Try batshit insane, Linnell interrupts. Zach chokes, and she looks over to see him scratching his head. His silence is just as loud as Eric's voice. He knew about all of this. This is why he registered her, why he kidnapped her, and threatened Daniel. Because of some idiotic claim his father made that can't possibly be true. Can't we just agree that while it sounds far-fetched, I knew your father better than you? Eric asks. A long moment stretches between them. Linnell wants to yell, no, and run out of the house. But she's surrounded by big men with muscles and weapons, and knows she would never reach the door. He was a strong and mighty king with a million lives in his hand, her mom had said. Could it be true that this mighty king knew Eric Elysian? Why would a man so close to such power leave the woman he loved and his daughter in squalor? If her father knew Eric Elysian, why did she have to grow up with Alan? So, if your father did leave the code and 
I'm certain he did. I could decipher it if I had the letter. But unfortunately, I burned it, Linnell mutters. Eric spreads his hands wide. And herein lies our issue. I need you to recreate the letter for me. I haven't read it in years, she says. But even as she does, she starts reciting the words in her mind. Little Linnell, I am sorry I will not see you grow. She imagines her father writing each word, knowing his days are numbered. That is my greatest regret in life. I will not get to see you fall in love, create your own words, or discover the world. I will not know your heart or the way your face ages. Did he hide something else, something bigger in that letter? Did he want to leave her with something that could possibly change her life? Please don't be angry with me for leaving. I promise I mean only to protect you. Because it probably would change her life. Whatever the code is and whatever it does, it has to be something huge if Eric Elysian is going through so much trouble to just have a chance of deciphering it. Perhaps one day you'll realize why. She shakes her head. No, it can't be true. If it is true, then not only did her father fail her, but she is going to fail him because she knows nothing about any code. Whatever he thought she could do when he left her that code, she can't do it. You were a young girl suffering from an unkind stepfather and little joy. I bet you dreamt of your father. I bet you created an idealized version. And all you had to connect with him was that letter. I bet you read it all the time. A daughter longing for a father will do anything to feel close to him. Linnell blinks and her throat starts tightening around a knot. I, Eric smiles, I see the truth in your eyes. He was the one source of light in your dingy, horrible life. You probably even memorized the words. She can't stop herself from looking away, or keep her mouth from opening slightly in surprise. This man seems to see right through her. Eric gives a little holler, as if he's just won a game of cards. I knew you wouldn't disappoint me, Linnell. He leans forward again, his voice falling so the next words are almost a whisper. Now, I need the contents of that letter, and you will give me what I need. Eric Elysian, a stranger, seems to know her better than anyone. Growing up scared even in her own home, that letter was the only proof that Linnell had a father who loved her once, even if he was gone and dead now. Reading the letter kept her going. The dream that she would one day find the hope and love and life her father wanted for her got her out of bed in the morning. And now, a stranger wants her to hand it over? She doesn't care who he is, or that he could have her killed without even lifting a hand. She doesn't care if he knew her father, or if what he claims is true. Linnell will not hand over the very thing that was her lifeline for years without a damn good reason. What makes you so sure? 
she sneers at the owner of the registration. You had me registered by multiple people. You dragged me from my life. Why would I give you anything? She practically spits the last words. Her change in demeanor doesn't phase Eric at all. His smile stays in place. Because you have no other choice. Just like your dad didn't when I stood by him, holding a gun to his temple. And with that one comment, her newfound bravery melts away. He didn't just know her father. He killed her father. The rebels have always said that the Elysians are the reason so many people have lost their loved ones. They villainize Eric Elysian, saying that he's behind so many unnecessary deaths. And he freely admits that what they say is true. Eric Elysian, the leader of the registration, the man everyone knows and some adore and others hate, murdered her father. I didn't know Eli had a daughter. Eric Elysian picks up his wine and takes a sip, continuing as if he didn't just casually confess to killing her father. Your father was a rebellious son. Eli. Her dad's name was Eli. She never knew. And his rebellion landed him a child. He tilts the cup in Linnell's direction. You. But I didn't know before I pulled that trigger. Didn't know he wrote a letter to a child he'd never know. Had I known you existed, I would not have killed him. I swear. He trails off, casting his eyes downward. She wants to throw the wine in his face. He won't convince her that he cares about her, that he wouldn't have taken her parent from her if he'd known. Maybe the rebels are right. Maybe Eric Elysian is a monster. Eric Elysian's face falls, and his eyes start to water. His voice breaks as he speaks. I loved my brother, but I had to stop him from ruining everything our father created. Please believe me when I say I didn't know about you. I never want to hurt my own family. He should have told me. He nearly begs. You and your mother could have come to live with us, with Eli. You all could have been a family, happy and safe and healthy. With me and my son, we would have found a way. Family. Eric Elysian killed his own brother. His brother was Eli. Eli was her father. This would have been her family if Eli hadn't left her mother. If Eric hadn't killed him, if everything had been different. Linnell was lying on her stomach on her childhood bed, an old crinkled paper held tightly between her small fists. Alan had been gone all day. Linnell didn't miss him when he was gone. Not anymore. Not since he'd become so unpredictable. You're reading that old letter again? Elizabeth asked, standing in the doorway. Linnell jumped, stuffed the page under her pillow, and sat up. Her mom chuckled, stepped in, and closed the door behind her. You should memorize it. Her mom sat next to her and pulled the letter out from under her pillow. She held it in trembling hands as her eyes scanned it. Linnell watched, biting her lip, 
trying to fight the urge to take it back. Know that your father will always love you, Elizabeth read. He did, honey. She sighed and set the page down, leaning over to kiss the top of Linnell's head. I can't believe he's been gone for almost five years. She squeezed Linnell's shoulders and said, or that you're going to be nine tomorrow. Linnell grinned, and her mom pulled away, touching the corner of the paper. Have I ever told you about how I met your father? Linnell shook her head. Elizabeth frowned and leaned back on Linnell's bed. She patted the blanket next to her, and Linnell crawled to join her. You know he was a king. Linnell nodded. That she'd heard before. The older she got, the less she believed that her father had a royal bloodline. Elizabeth continued, stretching her arm out in front to mime her story. He was a strong and mighty king with a million lives in his hand. But how did I meet him, such a powerful man? Elizabeth looked down at Linnell and tapped her nose. Scrabble. Linnell frowned, her nose crinkling. The game? Elizabeth nodded. I was at this little coffee shop playing Scrabble with a friend, but she had to leave. So your father, the king, came over and said, mind if I have this game? She smiled in reminiscence. I said, yes. We played five games. I kept winning, and he refused to stop playing until he'd win a game. Hours later, he still hadn't won, and he insisted we meet again. I think at that point, it was less about the game and more about just being together. We met again the very next day. Thus began our romance. Elizabeth reached down and grabbed the letter, holding it up. His dad taught him how to play Scrabble, taught him so well that he had never lost a game, until he met me. Elizabeth winked at Linnell and handed her the letter. She stood up and sighed. We'll go for ice cream tomorrow, just the two of us, for your birthday. And after that, I'll teach you how to play Scrabble. Who knows? One day you may meet your own king for a game. Wow. Who could have guessed that the fairy tale Linnell's mother used to tell her harbors a hidden truth? But with 10 days of the registration still remaining, Linnell has a choice to make. Does she trust the cousin she's never known? Only one thing's for sure. Nothing's worse than family that wants you dead. Find out what Linnell decides by tuning in to our next episode. So don't forget to subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped. If you don't want to miss a beat, listen to the registration now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All our books are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. You can follow Madison Lawson on Instagram at Madison Lawson and learn more on her website, madisonlawson.com. And make sure you follow us at camcatbooks. Tune in to hear all our audiobooks as we release them right here on Camcat Unwrapped, a serialized podcast. The first two episodes of every book can always be found here but subsequent episodes will be available for free listening only for a short time after their release. 
After that, they'll be gone. But don't worry, the audiobooks are available for purchase on Audible and other major retailers. CamCat Unwrapped also offers other CamCat books as podcasts. Check out our background episodes where we unwrap exclusive content relating to our books, including interviews with the authors, editors, and other industry professionals. Before you go, please take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you. Tune in again to CamCat Unwrapped, because CamCat Unwrapped is where book lovers meet.